0: The devil's going to get you, at least that's what started the satanic panic in the United States in the 1970s and 80s, all kicked off by a comedian that wrote a book and wanted to tell a tall tale. The satanic panic led to the McMartin preschool case, which was the longest and most expensive trial in United States history, and we're talking about it today on Thought Crime. Keto comic here today we're gonna get into a very unusual case one of the longest in fact the longest and the most expensive trial in the United States of America to date cost taxpayers into the hundreds of millions of dollars this was a travesty of justice to say less because nothing really happened it was all part of a system of paranoia and things that took place in the late 70s early 80s called the satanic panic which we're going to talk about and it also ruined several lives is a bunch of innocent children were subjected to things they should never be subjected to by the legal system and as stephanie harlow would say the lapd messed this one up big time please don't come for me (laughs) anyway it's a shout out to stephanie if you haven't seen her true crime channel check it out one of my favorites Let's get into it. The McMartin Preschool's case. The McMartin Preschool was a very successful preschool founded by the Virginia McMartin and her family, 1966, Manhattan Beach, California, which is in near LA, kind of in the southern area there. And there was actually a waiting list for this school. That's how successful it was. It was known for teaching children to read, teaching them some reasoning skills, giving excellent care, and was just a very successful business for a long time. It was the premier preschool in that Southern California region. And as a result, there was a waiting list. The teachers that worked there were highly qualified. And for a long time, things were really good from 1966 till about 1983, when a lot of this went down. And the McMartins were kind of caught up in a phenomenon that had been sweeping the nation since about 1977, which we're about to talk about, when fear of the occult began to penetrate a lot of different things in the United States pop culture. And as a result, a lot of things that were not necessarily evil were demonized. Let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Satanic Panic. Of the nineteen seventies and eighties, specifically the eighties, is when it went ran rampant. Uh, but this thing can be traced back to a fellow comedian. Yay, joke first, the Joker, now this guy. But it can be traced back to a person that had aspirations of being a stand-up comedian, and he did it in a most dishonest way, and started uh, a chain reaction of persecution. In 1972, The Satan Cellar was published, was written and published on behalf of a comedian by the name of Mike Warnke. And Mike Warnke was a Christian comedian that built his comedy career off of touring churches and religious organizations around the country in a very comedic way, telling his story of overcoming drug abuse, drug dealing, and being a high priest in the Church of Satan. Yes, the very Church of Satan created by Anton LaVey in the 1960s. Now what Mike Warnke didn't really understand, as a a lot of people that perpetrate this kind of fear didn't understand, is that Anton LaVey was actually an atheist, and the Church of Satan itself poses no belief in any type of higher power, God or Satan. They're atheists that like to dress up and and scare people they were basically created to give a finger to the catholic church that anton lavey had been a member of for many years and felt it was full of hypocrisy and deceit and criminality and he just basically wanted to give the good old middle finger to them so he created the church of satan to do that and if you've ever actually read the satanic bible it's mainly about exalberating the self over everything else taking care of yourself and your loved ones above everything else and it actually puts forth a belief that a human can achieve anything they want to achieve within human human limits and that they should uh basically it proposes kind of a darwinian view you know survival of the fittest which can be some kind of cruel yes but that's what it is so there's and the kind of theatrics they put on are simply that they're theatrics they're a lot of fun. I've actually listened to a couple of interviews with members of the Church of Satan, and it's like they're just kind of fun while doing research for this. So, Google that down below. You can find lots of information on that if you're interested. Now, there are people out there that kind of take that moniker and, like, say that they commit crimes in the name of Satan and things like that. That usually just goes back to, like, mental illness. I mean, I'm an atheist. I don't believe there's a God or a Satan, so... To me, it's just kind of rudimentary. If you're into that, definitely believe what you will. But I'm just giving you the historical background. But he said that he had been a high priest in that church. A claim that has been (laughs) denied by the Church of Satan itself. But anyway, so he toured Mount Warren. He toured churches and religious organizations and did a comedic retelling of his life story and how he was saved and how he is now a changed man, and he did it in a very comedic way. He had genuine comedic talent. The guy was funny, but like a lot of very funny comedians that struggle on their local circuits for a long time, I can definitely adhere to that. Wasn't really getting anywhere, so he needed a gimmick. And his gimmick was to say he was a former satanic high priest and drug dealer, and he published this book, which went into very graphic detail about satanic rituals, And how they infiltrate lots of different things, how a lot of crimes were committed in Satan's name, and how a lot of ritualistic abuse of children took place because of Satan and Satanic practices. And as a result, that book started what we know as the Satanic Panic, which was a demonization of so much of pop culture that you couldn't walk down the street without being told you Satan was going to get you. This is where you had things like the backward masking of music lyrics. Do y'all remember that? When they would actually play records backwards, and they would say that it was saying things like, Hail Satan, or uh, God is dead, or stuff like that. So, But what you don't realize, when you actually play most music backwards, it just sounds like a lot of gibberish you really can't understand. But when these people would get up and say, "If you listen right here," he's saying, "Hell, Satan." Well, that's in your mind now. They play it, and you you hear it because you're listening for it, and your your brain kind of mimics what you want to hear. So you had a lot of that going on. And uh, there were album burnings, there were book burnings, anything that could, you know, potentially be. Satanic, and then you had uh, the rumor that Dungeons and Dragons, which I played in high school, was a recruiting tool for satanic cults rather than just a uh, a very fun game for geeks that really love fantasy, which is really what it was. And that heavy metal music was a recruiting ground for Satanists. And now that it wasn't helped by the fact that there were some rock musicians that were open members of the Church of Satan, but. And that they 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 did sing about their beliefs in that you know the human human desire is number one, and that church of Satan's a very nihilistic hedonistic type of thing where it's like seek pleasure because we only have one life. So they did sing about those sort of things. So I guess you could say yes, they were talking about it. But most music, most art comes from a very even though I don't necessarily believe in spiritual it comes from a deep place or spiritual place if you're that type of person and so you do end up talking about your deepest beliefs so they were no different than any other artists they just happened to have different core beliefs so all of this was bad and so you had album burnings book burnings kids were forbidden to play certain games by the evangelical christians which usually tend to be the purveyors of this and all of this culminated in 1987 with the very Infamous Geraldo Rivera, Satanism in America special. This garnered tens of millions, hundreds of millions of views. Uh, I remember watching it as a kid, and the things they showed were quite gruesome, but a lot of it was made up. So you started having, you know, police actually investigate crimes as if they were satanic in nature. They started talking about the existence of satanic cults around town that were You know, you had things like the West Memphis Three occurring during this time period. You had all this stuff that was blamed on Satanism that really had no connection. Really, you just had a bunch of freaks wearing black listening to music. Not much different than today going about their merry way. And a lot of this resulted in people looking over their shoulder. Satan's going to get you. And it wasn't a very cool time to be kid in America I'm gonna show you a clip right here from a a show called terror in the toy box that will absolutely blow your mind where these guys talk about how demonic cartoons and toys are so check this out and then we'll get back into it
1: You know, you've been watching a Scooby-Doo cartoon, and it's amazing to me to see what's being brought forth in a cartoon. We've seen spell books, occultic amulets, we saw a crystal ball, astral projection to the evil zone, all of this in a children's cartoon. Now, I've got a guest today. His name is Phil Phillips. He's from Texas. He has been involved in missions work in his life, and he has now felt called to study the effects of cartoons and children's toys and even TV programs upon our children today. And I'd like to introduce a young man, and uh, Phil, uh, God bless you, and it's good to see you today. It's a pleasure being here today, Now, Phil, I'll tell you what, 14 years ago, Scooby-Doo was a lot different than what we see today and I could hardly recognize it. Can you tell me what's going on in this cartoon? Yes, there's a vast movement toward the occult within the cartoon and toy industry. Most people don't realize that 80% of all cartoons deal directly with the occult, and 40% of the toys on the market have occultic influence. So, little, children would, little children would actually use that to even identify more with these occultic heroes, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well. I think uh, it would be interesting if we went to another video. Here's the snake and all. I mean, this is definitely an occultic toy. And it's got an interesting little feature here. I'm going to turn it on. It can actually transform your voice from uh, your regular voice to that of an occultic hero. Is that correct? So let's get a Skeletor type of voice. (laughs) Let me turn this on here. I, I think I'm getting it too loud. Skeletor the master of the universe. Does that give you kind of an example of... uh, Yeah, you should see the commercial they play with it.
0: Those guys have issues. And incidentally, the scariest part of that was the younger guy, the guy that didn't look like a 1970s uh, serial rapist. He actually said that during like a three or four day fast that God spoke to him and asked him to go into a toy store. And that's how he saw all of this. Now, I don't know about you, but guys like that should be creeping around toy stores. But anyway, let's get back to the McMartin case. It was during all of this that the groundwork for the McMartin trial was laid. And actually, it was actually one of the things brought up in the 1987 Geraldo Rivera special. Because it had been going on for about four years at that time. But anyway, let's get into it. Alright. 1983. Judy Johnson was a single mom of a two-year-old son that was attending the McMartin Preschool. They took very young children, which was very unusual for most preschools. They normally started about three or four. But um, he had been complaining about painful, or not complaining since he was two, but obviously experiencing some discomfort when he used the bathroom and was scratching at himself down there quite a bit. So she took him to his pediatrician. Who really couldn't find anything wrong and suggested she take him to UCLA Children's Hospital and upon examination they found that the boy did have some redness around his anus and in their report they found some trauma down there which could have easily been from the boy scratching himself but said that it was consistent with sexual abuse now no one knows why they put this in the report but You know, it's the 80s. I remember actually in kindergarten in the 80s being taken to be examined by doctors from the school system for those kind of signs. And I think that was just all about the fear and the satanic panic and all that. But not that I'm saying it's a bad thing that we'd protect our children, but I just remember that. And it was just, it kind of stuck out in my brain. But they did put in there that it was, could be consistent with sexual abuse. Well, of course, that triggered this young lady as it would if somebody told you that there's potential that your young child had been sexually touched or sexually abused it would upset you too absolutely so she had every right to be upset but the thing of it is later it was revealed that this boy had pinworms and that was the one thing they did not test for was now if you take a young child to the pediatrician with anal itching and anal pain that's one of the first things they test for because there's a type of parasite that children get just from putting their hands in their mouths and things like that. That The female worm lives in the outer cavity of the intestines, lays their eggs around the, the butt, and it causes severe itching, which causes children to scratch themselves and create more trauma. And that's usually one of the first things that is tested for whenever a child's brought in with these specific symptoms. But that wasn't the case here. So of course, Miss Johnson took her ch- child immediately to the police and told them that he said that he had been touched by Raymond Bucky, the grandson of Virginia McMartin, daughter of son. Her his mother was actually Virginia McMartin's daughter Peggy McMartin Bucky said that he had been molesting her young son and he was a 23 year old teacher at the preschool at that time because McMartin preschool was truly a family situation. You had Virginia McMartin, you had her daughter Peggy McMartin, you had Raymond Bucky and his sister all teachers there and then you had three teachers with like 20 years experience that were also there and so she told the police that her son said that Mr. Bucky touched him and that Mr. Bucky told him not to tell and that Mr. Bucky threatened to kill his family if he told. Now of course you should always take allegations like this very seriously and they should be investigated of course but there's been a lot of speculation on whether the child actually said that because that's a mouthful for a two-year-old to say. But um they were There was a lot of speculation as to whether that was something that she fed into whatever this child said or the child said nothing and she made it up. We don't know. What we do know is that they did bring Mr. Bucky, Raymond Bucky, in on questioning for this. And uh, after thorough investigation, they found no evidence of anything other than the redness and the medical report from ucla children's and they did turn mr bucky loose for lack of evidence with no charges filed in 1983. now in 1986 this is just a caveat to this 1986 judy johnson was found dead from alcohol poisoning in her apartment she was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia in 1984. so we have a woman with at this time undiagnosed mental illness claiming that her two-year-old son had been ritualistically abused because she said that um, basically Mr. Bucky would dress her child up as a woman, play doctor with him, kill small animals in a ritualistic way, and threatened that if he told that her son's family would be killed and then also started naming other teachers, namely Raymond's mother Peggy McMartin, Bucky, saying that she could float in the air and cast spells all of this is a lot for a two-year-old to to regurgitate but as i said he was cut loose for lack of evidence and she was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and later died of alcohol poisoning as a result of severe alcoholism on top of that so that was the source for this entire case even though mr bucky was cut loose for lack of evidence the LAPD I guess decided to err on the side of caution and they actually sent a letter to all 200 some odd parents of McMartin preschool students stating essentially the following now here's the actual letter and you can definitely pause the video here and read it if you'd like but essentially what it said was that Ray Bucky, a teacher at the school had been accused by the mother of a young student of fondling What could be possibly construed as ritualistic practices, sodomy, oral copulation, uh, and just generalized abuse of a child. And they urged the parents to speak to their own children and find out if their children had witnessed or been subject to any of the like. Now, I don't think this would ever happen today. Uh, this seemed to me to be very reactionary. Uh, as I said earlier, LAPD messed this up big time. And this was just the first in many missteps where they basically ignited the fires of panic because, you, as you can imagine, people flipped out. They started taking their kids out of the school. They took their kids to doctors, to psychiatrists, and it was basically mass paranoia. It was at this time that the Children's Institute International, which is a Los Angeles nonprofit therapy based children's advocacy center that was at that time run by Key McFarland, who was a psychotherapist, actually took an interest in this or found out through Mussings because this hit local news and things like that, that they should perhaps interview all of the students at the McMartin preschool. So that's exactly what they did. They took the children in, and they, Miss McFarlane had basically been, was credited with inventing the whole subject of the anatomically correct doll, where you have dolls that are, you know, have adult parts, and their children, instead of actually having to say the words, can point to where they were touched or what they saw. So, she was the one that kind of pioneered that, and that was a good thing, but... Everything else as far as how all these children were interviewed was controversial, and I always say that Because there are videos and you can find those videos very easily on YouTube. Just type in McMartin preschool children's interviews and you can actually watch hours of these children being interviewed and all of them were asked the very same questions there was a script and When people actually, when the defense attorneys and other experts actually watched these videos, they became concerned because they said that it seemed that the therapist kept asking questions until they got the answer they wanted. So basically they would ask a child, has Mr. Bucky or Miss Bucky ever touched you in your private place? Child would say no. And then they would show them the doll. Do you know what your private place is? Yes. Can you point it out on this doll? Here. Have Has your teacher ever touched you there? No. And do you think, and then they would ask questions like, do you think she wanted to touch you? It was just weird. They were just asking all these leading questions, essentially. They were trying to lead these children into questioning. And if you've dealt with, you know, toddlers and people uh, children under the kindergarten age they're very impressionable they'll usually finally agree and and repeat parrot what you say and according to the experts that viewed these videos they said that's exactly what happened they led these children into reciting memories that weren't there they basically implanted Memories of ritualistic abuse and sexual abuse in these children's minds and got them on tape saying that it happened But the good thing is they actually videoed the whole thing They weren't dishonest in that and that they did video the whole thing and didn't delete parts, but that's essentially what happened and they even went so far as to Implant strange things in their minds like there were tunnels under the school Um, They sacrificed animals on altars just this they floated in the air there was this gang called naked celebrity where they basically led the children into saying they were photographed nude So weirdness which we're going to talk about in a minute but all accounts those videos pictured very leading questions very leading along this these lines Astrid Hepstle-Heger, who was a pediatrician and medical examiner with UCLA, also took an interest in the case. She physically examined most of the children and said there was minute scarring on their genitals. Didn't say what could have caused this because there's lots of things that can cause trauma to the genital area from scratching to tough bowel movements to children falling on the playground. I can tell you, I remember an exam when I was in kindergarten where I had some bruising down there and I remember this very vividly because the doctor asked me how I got those bruises and I said I fell on my swing set which was absolutely the truth I did I took a hard spill landed cross-legged on the little you know the little swing that you sit on with somebody else and you go back and forth like that I was climbing on that I fell I hurt myself that's exactly what happened but social services were actually called and they did interview my parents and was determined nothing was going on and I'm grateful that they wanted to take care of me, but there was lots of different ways that kind of scarring can take place. I'm just say, Always take all allegations seriously, but do a thorough investigation because everybody has the right to be deemed innocent till proven guilty. That's all I'm saying. But she didn't give any, re- you know, she didn't really investigate how this could happen. She just said that there was minute scarring there. Well, that's like saying a dog has fur. Uh, John Earl, a local well-known Southern California journalist, took an interest in the case, used it to kind of prop up his career. It's kind of like was kind of like the clickbait of the day. If you talked about the Martin case, you got views, and of course, he did. He talked about it a lot and always spun it to the side of the sinister because that sells. Um, <clears throat> there was another well-known journalist, Wayne Satz, who was dating Key McFarlane, the one that was running the interviewing of the children, And so, of course, he spun it. He interviewed her a lot. He spun it in their direction that these kids had been ritualistically abused, and the panic just grew. It just grew. It engulfed not only Southern California, but all of the United States, and soon everybody was talking about the McMartin Preschool. Uh, And then there was some kind of political entrapment there as well. You had David Rosenberg, who was at that time the editor of the Los Angeles Times, covered it again, from a very sinister angle, was dating and later married Law Rubin, who was one of the prosecutors of the case. So there was a lot of weird stuff going on there. Uh, And then finally, you had a voice of reason. Michael Mahoney, clinical psychologist, professor of psychiatry at UCLA, or USC, excuse me, reviewed the videotapes of the children's interviewed and actually was one of the first voices to say, something's rotten in Denmark these interviews aren't exactly what they're being portrayed to be and again talk about some of the weirdness surrounding the case you had implanted uh, memories which was actually the source of a very controversial book that came out during this time called Michelle remembers which was the story of a child that basically was coached ended up coming out was coached by her psychotherapist to remember things that didn't happen to her implanted memories. So that was kind of controversial. And they were basically giving these children their own testimony. And a lot of parents, of course, are going to believe their children. So it just snowballed. Uh, Coaching in general was a bad thing. Uh, They asked the very leading questions, which kind of forced the confession that, yes, my teacher did this to me, my teacher did this, my teacher did that. Also, uh, when asked who touched them, the children were shown a variety of different photographs and they started IDing celebrities like Chuck Norris, uh, Christy Brinkley, Chevy Chase, those kind of, those people that were very familiar icons at the time, they were naming them as some of the abusers along with the teachers at the school. So just weirdness like that. There was the rumor of tunnels, secret tunnels. Under the McMartin Preschool with an entrance in in the bathroom. Some of the children said they took us through a tunnel that led from the bathroom. And they actually investigated the entire area around the McMartin Preschool. Never found any evidence of tunnels. Any evidence of trapdoors, Anything like that that led to any sort of sacrificial altar or anything like that. They claimed that their teachers could levitate off the ground. Uh, That obviously was never proven. uh, That they killed small animals. There was no evidence of any disposal of animal carcasses anywhere around the Martin Preschool within like a three-mile radius. Uh, and then they said that the McMartin teachers threatened their family, that if they told, they would kill their families. And that just basically comes down to word one person's word against the other. But those were some of the accusations that were coming out of the videos. And of course, the press grabbed it and ran with it. The local government in LA grabbed it and ran with it and used it for political gains because there was this whole satanic panic all over the country, and that leads us up to the actual trial. March twenty second, nineteen eighty four. Virginia McMartin, the founder of the school, her daughter Peggy McMartin Bucky, Raymond Bucky, Peggy's son, uh, her daughter Peggy Ann Bucky, and teachers Marianne Jackson, Betty Rader, and Babette Spittler. Were charged with at first 115 counts of child abuse later expanded to 320 counts involving just around 50 students. Um, Ira Rayner who was a longtime LA prosecutor and was running for district attorney at the time did serve several terms as district attorney sees the case as his crowning jewel of the election. He let people know that he would take these children's accusations very seriously and prosecute this to the highest extent of the law. So he did a lot of interviews. He was present in the courtroom while his prosecutor, Ms. Rubin, was there in the courtroom, who was also, I said, dating, uh, and later engaged to the editor of the Los Angeles Times. So a lot of good coverage for this dude's campaign. And a lot of people accused him of using it and blowing it way out of proportion to secure his election, even though he adamantly denied that for years. But uh, there were also, it also came out at trial that several of the witnesses that they used, because all of these people that were accused were held either without bail or at exorbitant amounts of bail. We're talking like $1 million, something that no one could ever raise if they were anything but the 1%. So, they were all held in jail, and one of the prosecutor's tactics was to bring forth prisoners that were sailed with these people to tell them stories about supposed confessions. Now that's to me known as hearsay, but it was still allowed to be used in the trial for some reason, and it later came out that a lot of these uh, prisoners had been offered deals and had also been convicted of perjury in the past. So. Wasn't the best source for these confessions, but just a lot of weirdness around this trial. It's like they wanted it to be true. They wanted to get the convictions. And it's obvious what side I lie on, but I believe in innocent until proven guilty. That's the cornerstone, because that's scary to think that you're guilty just by accusation, which is what has li- which is what caused the Salem Witch Trials, the McCarthyism of the 1950s, a lot of that horse shit, so we don't want that to ever happen again, so I tend to take all accusations seriously, but investigate them with a skeptical mind, because that's what you have to do to be fair. So there was just a lot of weirdness. Also, uh, the children were, only their videos were shown. They were actually interviewed in a separate room, where, uh, out of the guys of the rest of the courtroom, they were actually interviewed there, which kind of cuts down on the body language thing that you can, that the jury relies on sometimes to gauge whether or not a witness is being truthful. There was a lot of things there. They were not allowed to be cross-examined to the extent that an adult would be, and I understand that there's some validity behind that, but it was just a lot of weirdness. But finally, July 13th, the first trial, 1987, this is around the when it first started, the trial 1987, it ran till 1990 so at the time that Geraldo Rivera special came out, this trial was up and running. He interviewed a lot of the parents he came out on the side that, that these people were absolutely guilty it was just a lot, these people couldn't get a fair trial. Let's put it this way even if they brought in a jury from Alaska they couldn't get a fair trial because everybody had already drawn a line in the sand so it was just a very sad thing But eventually, in 1990, that trial concluded with all charges being dropped against everyone but Virginia and her grandson, Raymond. They were retried starting May 7, 1990, all the way to July 27, 1990, again at taxpayer expense, and were eventually acquitted of all charges, and this ended up being the longest and most expensive trial ever. The aftermath was that the McMartin Preschool was shuttered. Even though it was completely acquitted of all charges, it had been forever tainted. There's no way anybody's going to take their children there. These teachers who were lifelong educators, their lives were ruined. Uh, there were people calling for their murders, for for hits on them. Their lives were essentially ruined. Um, Virginia McMartin died in 1995, so she She actually is on record as saying she thought she was being set up and held as a patsy for someone. But, I don't know about a patsy, but I understand her, you know, she was falsely accused. So, I understand her anger. But, essentially, these people's lives were ruined. Even if, even though they were acquitted, the fact that they were McMartins led them to probably being forever blackballed. Forced into retirement, forced onto welfare, whatever you want to call it. Their lives were destroyed. And these children, these children that were subjected to talk about sexual molestation, satanic rituals, and were led into believing that that had happened to them, it makes me sick. There are plenty of children out there that are actually abused, that are put through it through no fault of their own and through no fault of their parents. But these children were put through it on the whim of a mechanism, a governmental mechanism That wanted to believe it was true and were basically used as a pawn for the media and a pawn for the politicians and it's sickening oh and incidentally Geraldo after they were found not guilty in 1990 because of course he did came out and apologized for his part in this and apologized for that entire satanic special that fueled the flames of course he did now don't get me wrong I like Geraldo I think he's on the more ethical side of journalists because when he realized he was wrong, he did apologize for it. But still, he got on that clickbait train. On YouTube, it's one thing. Clicking on YouTube drama is totally one thing. But ruining the lives of real people with false accusations, that's entirely another in the real world. So, believe what you will. That's the McMartin case in a nutshell. I hope you enjoyed this. I really enjoyed doing research on this. I'll be back very soon with uh, the Salem Witch Trials and also... Some other true crime and spooky stories. I hope you're enjoying keto ween as much as I am. Thank you so much, guys! Like, comment, share, subscribe. Ketosis, y'all. Keto comic out.